Hey everyone, this is a special bonus episode, if you will, that I am sharing as part of my fundraiser for the 2022 Lambda Literary Writers Retreat. I'm going to read to you an essay that I plan to workshop at that retreat this year. For the past couple of years, I've been writing an essay collection that I am tentatively calling A Home at the Beginning of the World. If published, it would be a first of its kind from a queer Armenian-American writer. If you would like to make a tax-deductible donation of any size to Lambda Literary, even $5, that would be on my behalf. The link is in the episode description as well as on our social media. We're at this queer book on Twitter and Instagram, and you can find us on Facebook, too. Naming Names Be mindful with my name. Speaking it is an intimate moment between us. Your breath creates the form and weight of it. That breath comes from deep inside you. It caressed your bronchi. It kissed your alveoli. The moisture of your throat warmed it. The wetness of your tongue shaped it. That breath pulses just outside your lips, vibrating across the room, penetrating my ear, massaging the folds of my muscle tissues and my skull. Be mindful with my name. Speaking it is an intimate truth between us, and you should know the history of it. My parents named me John. It wasn't my mother's first choice. She preferred Peter. But her mother-in-law intervened and declared my name must be John. She explained that there had always been a John in every generation of my father's family, but she hadn't named any of her children John, so she insisted that I, as the first grandchild who could rectify that omission, must be a John. My father obliged, then my mother. I was happy I wasn't a Peter, I had a second cousin named Peter. I had mixed feelings about him. We should have gotten along, but we never seemed to. I wondered if Peter was the English version of Pierre, which was my mother's uncle's name. She never elaborated. I knew she didn't like her Armenian middle name, Manushag, so it didn't surprise me that she didn't want to name me Tigran, Kevork, or Azad. Her Armenian parents gave her a French name because she was born in France. Folks wonder why Armenians always talk about the genocide, how we can insert it into any conversation, even ones as trivial as the weather or traffic. But had she not been born in France, but Western Armenia, from where my grandparents and grandparents fled, then she would have an Armenian name. So even the choices of our names have roots in the genocide. Since she immigrated to the States and married an American, my parents giving me an English name made a certain kind of sense. John was not only a return to tradition, but the expectation of a future an American man with Armenian roots who would have an American future. My kindergarten bus driver named me Johnny. I did not tolerate this. The bus was already a fraught paradox. At five years old, the road was forbidden territory. Don't play near it. Don't go near it. Don't get into a stranger's car. But suddenly, I was expected to walk to the road by myself, stand next to it, and climb up huge steps into a bus driven by a stranger. Johnny was a bridge too far. I complained to my parents to do something, but they told me to stand up for myself. On my next bus ride, I clambered up the steps. The cheerful bus driver said, Hello, Johnny. I stared her down. My name is John, and I took my seat. My youth pastor named me JP. He called everyone else in the youth group by their birth names, but he called me JP. It was simply my initials, John Parker, but it was also the inverse of the name everyone called him, PJ, Pastor John. I loved him for this. I loved him more for this. I was an adolescent and had confusing feelings for him. He was both a father figure and a romantic puppy crush love. My attraction to him simmered, made me shy, desperate to please, 
desperate for his attention. I never actually got to be alone with him, I never even had one single conversation just between the two of us. I knew envy was a sin, but it crawled over me any time anyone mentioned they had alone time with PJ. To make him come to me, I memorized his sermons. In church, when he issued calls to action, I always stepped forward. By ninth grade, I committed my future life to the ministry. I was a quick study and observed through him how to think and relate to the world as a Christian. I realized he might be the key to my queerness. His father figureness allowed me to create my own gay conversion therapy protocol. It didn't work at first, but he taught me how to have faith. I kept it up, even as my anxiety rotted my hope. The trauma was less that he taught me that queerness damned, even though that was traumatic. It was more that he taught me how to have a personal relationship with God, how to love God, how to talk to God. My most significant relationship was with God. I told him everything. My prayers were sometimes silent while brushing my teeth, often out loud, clutching my pillow before bed, pretending I was hugging God or Jesus. Always a steady stream of consciousness and questions that led to a deep study of the Lord's Word. The trauma was less damnation, even though, again, that was traumatic. But the threatened rupture of my most intimate relationship with the person who cared for me most, who knew everything about me, and who spoke to me through his word, with his thoughts he shared with me in his own voice planted inside my head, and of course, through PJ. I was desperate to talk to PJ about this, but couldn't and didn't. I allowed nothing to cause any more distance between us. I would sit on the floor of the youth room, watching him laugh with the juniors and seniors. He had the best laugh, loud, infectious, all teeth, and gleeful eyes. He'd play music standing behind the sound booth, and those teenagers crowded him. He'd put one in a headlock or pat their shoulder or jokingly push them away. I watched, waited. I had the long game. They would graduate, and my time would come. I would move from the floor on the other side of the room to the sound booth. But internal church politics destroyed everything. The machinations and pride of long-standing church members led to the senior pastor's ouster. My father was board president but couldn't prevent it. The entire pastoral staff resigned from the church. I cried for months. I anguished. Why wasn't I good enough for PJ to fight to stay? All I had left were the intimate moments he called me JP, the moments he created just for the two of us. My friends called me John Parker. Not John, but my full name, John Parker. At parties, they'd joke about why it started. I'd stand on the balcony of some friend's apartment, smoking camel-wide unfiltered cigarettes, drinking Guinness, and they would justify John Parker in fits of laughter. It couldn't be helped. It was a superhero's name. Peter Parker, John Parker. It was a subconscious trend. It happened in Los Angeles, and Oxford, and Traverse City, and Grand Rapids. The same parties, the same cigarettes, the same Guinness, different friends, same name. It happened spontaneously without my prompting, even with college instructors. My first year at the American Academy of Dramatic Arts. I'm in a dialects class. My instructor ran roll call on the first day. We sat in a row of chairs against the wall, the main space open for acting and scenes and getting up to work on being British or Irish or a New Yorker. Anna, he called. Tamika, John Parker, Michael. He stopped and asked aloud, Why did I say your name like that? I shrugged. Everyone does. Classmates giggled. The ongoing inside joke. He asked me what my real name was. 
I didn't understand. The room quieted. This was new. He said he knew immigrants would choose fake names when they moved to the States so as to fit in. He said John Parker was a fake name. He said he wanted to be inclusive and know my real name. I wondered why he thought I was an immigrant with a fake name. I didn't have an accent. Did I say something wrong? Was it my posture? Was it my nose? I replied, that's the name on my birth certificate. I didn't mention the genocide and refugees. I didn't explain that my father's family is American and that my inheritance was just as much John Parker as it was my Armenian surnames of Der Bogosian and Taboyan, but I wanted to appease the person who would ultimately be in charge of my grade. I conceded. Well, yes, I technically am a dual citizen of France and the US. He nodded, triumphant. My life partners named me John John. We're in a queer, polyamorous relationship, and my partners have been together for decades prior to meeting me. They had nicknames for one another, John John grew organically out of the age differences between us. JJ shows up on presents and on the score sheets for the board games we play. I renamed my surname Parker Dash Dare Bogosian. I stood before a judge in St. Paul, Minnesota, and explained that it was the 100 year anniversary of the Armenian Genocide. I explained that my mother's maiden name, Dare Bogosian, was going to disappear. The men in the family had born daughters. I felt it was important to claim my heritage. As the grandchild and great-grandchild of genocide survivors, I needed to preserve it. I did not explain that as a queer, I had no intention of having children, and that I was only buying the name an extra 40 years or so. I didn't bring out the moral and historical frustration that A, Armenians need to rely too often on foreign governments to champion Armenian genocide recognition, and that B, I stood before an American judge in a North American city to legally approve my Armenian identity. The judge nodded, banged his gavel once, called it a worthy endeavor. I decided to call it a victory for the community. A legal representative of the United States recognized the impacts of the Armenian genocide at a time when the official stance of the Obama administration, like all presidential administrations who came before, denied the genocide. I renamed myself JP. Some suspect I chose it as a writerly name, J.R.R. Tolkien, E.E. E. Cummings, J.P. Derbogosian. That is incorrect. At an office Christmas party at a restaurant I can't remember the name of, dressed in a red Christmas suit with big fat snowflakes plastered all over it, my phone vibrated and I sent it to voicemail. I'd call whomever it was on the drive home. On the way to the parking garage, I listened to my friend's message. I don't know if you heard about Pastor John and I wanted to make sure you knew. I didn't wait to get into the car to call him back. What happened? I asked, jogging through the cold in my paper-thin Christmas suit. He told me that PJ died of suicide. Inside my car, I cranked the heat, put my friend on speaker, and googled Pastor John, trying to understand how he had been accused of embezzling hundreds of thousands of dollars from the church he founded, and how he had been asked to resign while the county sheriff's office investigated. Long after I let my friend go, I sat in the emptying parking garage. All those feelings of shock and abandonment I felt when he left me resurfaced, prickling. There was something else. I never explained to PJ my queerness, my unforgivable sin, which did go on to alienate me from God, ripping away our relationship a mere two years after PJ deserted me. Yet now, he too had committed an unforgivable sin. No chance for redemption. I knew the shame and grief of God's choice to cut me off. I knew how to talk about Christian exile when I needed Christianity the most. I knew how to talk about the logic of taking my life. 
the welcomed clarity of it, the relieving sense of agency, the control it brought. I also knew, sitting alone in that parking garage, that the time could come when both our names would not be read in the book of life. I knew that heaven could cast us both to the lake of fire. I knew that heaven could make us walk to that lake, and in that walk, I knew I could listen to PJ in a way that no one else could, with the compassion I had to find and name for myself. I knew the two of us would finally talk. Be mindful then with my name. Your breath, which has stroked the muscle tissues deep inside you, gives life to this history. Your breath places it back into the world. Speaking my name is an intimate moment for all of us. Thank you for taking the time to listen to my essay. Again, if you would like to donate to Lambda Literary, a tax-deductible donation on my behalf, the link to do that is in the description of this episode and also on our social media. Thanks, everyone.